Hey guys, Dane here with the Darkroom Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with the one and only Benjamin Hardman. Benjamin is an Iceland-based photographer who shoots in absolutely insane conditions and produces absolutely insane work. So he has worked for brands and companies like Olympus, Land Rover, Suzuki, National Geographic, the list goes on, and this dude is killing it. He's really, really awesome. He is um, from Australia originally, and he made it all the way up to Iceland, where he lives in the mountains and shoots regularly in that area and travels around up there. So we get into his story, and we also talk about conservation efforts that he is involved in. So without further ado, please enjoy a conversation with Benjamin Hardman. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting and giving us the time. No worries at all. Super keen for this. Yeah, man. So, okay, so you're in Iceland currently living. Yep living in Iceland. What does your setting and scene look like, like right now in Iceland? Um, well, it got super dark, super early. So right now I'm just sitting, uh, the night has, uh, begun and I'm just in a little mountain cabin that we are, uh, living in at the moment. That's incredible. So are you guys, are you guys far from, from the next human? Are you guys kind of out in the middle of, of the wilderness? Um, we're in like a little area of cabins. So Collectively, we are in the wilderness, but um, there are some other people around. It's not completely isolated. I think um, it's nice to have some people. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'm talking like maybe 10 people. <laughs> so what, what does your, I mean, what is your, your daily out there? Are you, are you home a lot out there shooting and, and coming back to that cabin? Are you traveling around Iceland and not coming home for days or weeks at a time? Yeah, so... I mean, I, I'm shooting and traveling in Iceland quite a lot um, and also around the Arctic, but mainly um, I'm either at home editing or, and reviewing my material from the shoots um, or I'm sleeping on the road or camping or now that we're going into winter, um, we go into the mountain cabins sometimes and and yeah, just a lot of photography really. Beautiful. And for, for people who don't know your work, um, I'm a massive, massive fan and, and your style is, is so unique, you know, that you can tell that that has been, you know, crafted and molded into something really amazing over the years. How would you describe your style? Describing my style. Yeah. That is a diff it's a difficult thing because my style has been a progression for, for the last few years, especially since I, I moved here, um, three and a half years ago. And I, but when I moved here, I was just shooting everything. I didn't really have a specific, I guess, a trained eye for a certain style or aesthetic or anything. Yeah. But what what is what has been a common um, place for my images, at least in the last year, is um, focusing on on the textures of ice and the textures that you can see in such a rugged landscape like Iceland where we have volcanoes and glaciers in all directions and a terrain of volcanic ash and what what this causes, this temporary uh, natural 
kind of chaos that we get when we get these unexpected natural events like an, er an eruption. And what that, what that does is create a really interesting scene. So that is how I would define at least what I shoot. As for the style, a lot of these things have similar colors and um, I guess similar types of light, a lot of cloudy days and things like this that have created this kind of, at least this, this visual tone that I'm really interested in. Yeah. So when you're finding locations in Iceland, what is that preparation like? What is the process like to find these, these spots that you, you shoot? A lot of research on Google satellite view. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and in Iceland, we have like a, a, special, um, a special version of this satellite view with a, a different map, which is highly detailed. And it allows you to just explore in your free time and assess if there's mountain tracks or hiking trails or just general ways to get to these beautiful locations that are completely off the grid. And then maybe we'll plan, me and my friends here, we'll plan a little expedition out to those areas. Man, you know what's wild is like when, I mean, down here in Los Angeles, when we plan out trips, we don't have to worry about sub-zero temperatures and avalanches and just crazy conditions how like how is that a factor as well like has there ever has there ever been you know crazy encounters with with different you know conditions or even wildlife or just anything out of the norm the the weather here is highly unpredictable and in fact i got a, a warning from the weather department today about a 50 meter per second storm oh my which God. i don't know what that is in yeah in uh, a lot i'm sure it's a lot. system <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but it's super crazy that that is very dangerous winds so um yeah we're getting you know almost daily weather warnings in in different areas around the country and they pose significant threats on on your plans and you have to really you know take them into account here yeah so when you guys are are planning these trips you're going in groups right or is are you doing this solo i love traveling solo i think it brings this this additional element of just i guess uh becoming in touch with your own with your own mind yeah and you know you're not you're not planning with anyone or even talking maybe for an entire day but it allows you to just get in touch with yourself and and see the landscape from an i guess uninterrupted mindset but yeah. on the same note i absolutely love traveling with my friends here and if we're doing something extreme, then of course we pair up because, you know, we can't take one vehicle into the Arctic winter setting or the subarctic winter setting that we have because if you get stuck, you're completely stuck and there's often no way to uh, to get yourself out unless you call for help. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, which I bet you probably had to do a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been stuck in some pretty chaotic situations. I've been stuck uh, in about negative 15 Celsius, um, waist deep in ice water, trying to get our car out of the, of the snow in the middle of Iceland. And uh, it was an Easter weekend, so no one was keen to come and help us. So we ended up just sitting in the car for like 12 hours waiting. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm never yeah. going to complain about 20 degrees again. <laughs> Ever. 
Yeah, that was a cold one. That's wild, man. So uh, when you like a lot of your buddies are are these guys that guys and gals that live out there in Iceland, or is this a lot of you know people that you've met through Instagram and through projects that are, are traveling into Iceland for a short amount of time that link up with you? Um, I think as as my um, endeavors get more extreme here, it, it's uh, it's been finding like minded individuals that have this similar passion for pushing the limits, I guess. And generally those people are people that live here as well. Um, which is what's, what's been quite interesting is how many foreign people I've become friends with that have also followed their, their heart and actually moved to Iceland. And we have quite a good network of, of crew who's, who's actually moved here and they're literally just following their dreams, really inspiring to meet and hang out with all of these people. And then, and then on the same note, connecting with Icelanders who who have this mountain mentality because it is quite quite a split of people here. You get people who who are highly adapted to the city life, and I mean, it's not that they don't like the mountains; they just don't uh, have a drive to go and see the landscape of Iceland. So, um, when you do find someone who has this this menta- this shared mentality of just pushing the limits in the mountains here usually is just get on like a house on fire and have 10 plans made in an hour (laughs) it's quite cool how often uh, how often do you leave iceland um i'm leaving iceland basically just when i have to because i love it here so much yeah um, uh, my usual visits will be to uh, to the arctic regions uh of Greenland and Svalbard and um, other than that would just be going home to Australia once a year where I'm from. Yeah. So that's where you grew up there, right? That's where you're born. Yeah. I was born in uh, Western Australia in Perth. Surfer, skater. What was uh, the young Benjamin? Um, my vibe when I was, when I was a kid was BMX. I was fully into BMX. Um, We had surf uh, lessons in school, but I never really got into it I, I actually though I started photography as a surf photographer which is quite interesting nice so I was really into it my one of my best friends he he was um a bodyboarder so we used to go driving around finding cool breaks and just camping out there and I would take photos from the shore um I could never afford an underwater housing so I couldn't ever get in the water which yeah. kind of sucked because it's like 45 degrees celsius yeah, super hot and just like melting with sweat trying to get these photos. But so that was some of the first photos you were taking. Yeah, if you if you look back on my Flickr page, you'll see a bunch of uh, surf photos. <laughs> oh man, Flickr! I love yeah. that. Yes, good old days. Yeah. So, how old were you when you first started shooting? Then was that about ten years ago? Exactly. Yeah, it was. Um, I w- I would have been like seventeen or something. 16, 17, when I first, you know, picked up a camera and gave it a thought, kind of. Were you, uh, were you always a creative growing up? Was that the first time that you kind of realized that or did you do anything before that? Before photography, I, I guess I've always had some form of a creative gene. I've never been able to draw. I would love to, but I just haven't been able to, uh, to get it going. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... I, I was in a punk band actually, so that that started. It was it wasn't wasn't pure punk. It was a hardcore band. Okay, cool. Um, and I, I started that in high school and and went into it. But um, but yeah, that was my thing before photography is music. So 
did you have, you had a long mane then, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no beard, <laughs> long hair for sure. Exactly. What, uh, what instrument did you play? I was a guitar player nice. back then. I still am, but I, I just don't play as much. <laughs> was there a time in your life where you thought that music was going to be, you know, kind of the rest of the story? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the genre that I was in, it, it's very difficult to make it a career, put it that way. So I always treated it as just a fun hobby. But um, yeah, I think, I think at some point you, you had this mindset of, man, this could actually become something pretty cool, especially when we had the opportunity to tour in, um, in Europe and around Australia. It became a bit of a thing. So was that kind of the beginning of your, your traveling was, was with a band before it was with a camera? Exactly. And actually, I had uh, already started to take an interest in photography when I when I was in the band. So it was a really nice combination to actually combine traveling and tour with my band with photography. Yeah, well, every every band needs a good, you know, photographer. So you were definitely that guy. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we would spend, you know, all day driving to the venues across Europe and that allowed to um, to shoot on the way and shoot out the window of the tour van. And um, yeah, a lot of cool things like passing. I always remember passing through the through the Alps. I think we were we were going through through Austria at the time. Oh, wild! And that was just beautiful for photos. And I didn't really get to experience it because we were just in the car. But driving through it, I was like, wow, I could probably get into landscape photography. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Did you have? I mean, were you following photographers at that time? Because it seems like that was pre Instagram, so you probably didn't have as much access to to, you know, be a big fan of a lot of these guys? Yeah, I, I never really engaged. I kind of wish that I, I did back then because I think it would have propelled me into my current world a little bit faster. But I was quite switched off from the photography world other than Flickr. And back then, I guess I was never, I was never really involved with Flickr. I just used it to post my photos. So yeah. there was no source of inspiration or anything. I was just drawing off a an interest in simply just taking photos. Yeah. And then, so you went to school for accounting, right? Yeah. So my, uh, I have a degree in accounting and finance, which I did during the, the band days. And, um, it's been super useful, absolutely key to running my business now in photography, but it is definitely a different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. What, how have you been able to, to bridge the two and marry the two? The the skills that I learned in my degree apply to all facets of what I do now. Um, every every company has has to do accounting and deal with taxation and all of these kind of mundane topics. But um, at least studying them allowed me to gain an understanding of how all these principles work in the real world. And then when I went into it and started my own company, I had a great foundation of how how a company works, and and it allowed me to propel myself a little bit faster into it, rather than needing to spend time at that point researching and trying to understand and meeting with accountants and everything. When I just want to be out taking photos at the end of the day, so it was nice to have that foundation. Yeah. When when was the first time that you you made the jump to a full time full time creator, full time photographer? The jump to full time came for me in January two thousand and sixteen. 
So I would I was uh, approximately seven months into living in Iceland, and for those first seven months, I um, I worked as a housekeeper in my favorite hostel downtown. Nice. Which, when I moved to Iceland, I had no idea what I would do. Um, I'd, I'd saved uh, enough money from one year of work, actually in accounting back in Australia. Okay. And, um, and that allowed me to be somewhat stable just for, you know, the beginning period of living here in Iceland. Right. But uh, of course, I needed, I needed to find a job and that was super difficult because I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was actually in the University of Iceland studying Icelandic at the time, um, and I had to mix that with some work. So I, I found this job at this hostel, and and that really, really opened up a lot of doors because I was connecting with so many local people, and it became a great base and hangout for for me to to meet other local people. Yeah, dude, the hostile world is, it's a fun world for sure. And I'm sure the job market in Iceland isn't huge, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a tiny place of 330,000 people. Um, so I think this country runs on connections as its primary source of any form of work or basically just anything you want to do. It, it really pays off to have some local connections, especially in the beginning when when you're you you know you can't speak the language you you don't know the local way yet um it's great to have some guidance so so in the transition from from hostel housekeeper to photographer did a few brands kind of help you make that that jump did they reach out to you and and offer you some money for some work or did you decide to start selling prints or what was the beginning of monetizing your work the, the monetization of my my work really began with these small photo shoots and of course for the longest time well those seven months felt like the longest time because I really didn't know what I would be doing when I made the eventual jump into full-time photography so I was taking on a lot of you know just traded work photos for you know whatever it was at yeah. the time but but not a lot of money <laughs> and then um eventually uh I built up a little bit of a uh, of a collection of Iceland photos and social media began to take off a little bit. Um, and at that point, you know, I had a solid base of, uh, at least when I, when I moved here, I didn't really have social media established yet. I had like, I had an audience of about maybe a thousand people from Australia, primarily from, um, some work I did back there with exhibitions and stuff. But, um, but it all kind of kicked off with, with the social media once I moved here and once it was established um the first people to really believe in me were a brand called 66 North a clothing brand from Iceland mm -hmm. and I reached out to them and had a meeting and it was really the first time where someone had just absolutely believed in giving me a chance yeah in photography and it was just the most incredible moment and everything has kind of kicked off since then that's amazing. So now, nowadays, when when you know brands reach out, are you more selective, or are you selective at all when it comes to when people come at you with with ideas? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to be selective, and you have to do things that that match your your creative outlook and fit into to the things that that you stand for, your your values, and of course, like 
not all companies are, are going to, to match those things. So I always am doing some research and even pitching myself to brands that I believe really flow well with what I do. And um, that has been actually a major way for me to, to connect is, is actually reaching out myself. And, um, and that's why it's one thing I tell people all the time is to not be afraid to, to you, know, you know, prepare some emails and, and get your name out there. Yeah, for sure. And also, well, you, you're, doing, uh, you're doing exhibitions, it seems like, on an annual basis, about like one a year. Is that what it's been? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no timeline for them. It's, just, it's happened to be, uh, I've, I've done one this year. I'm going to be doing one again in, in a couple of weeks, kind of like a traveling exhibition. So um, it's been amazing to firstly just see my, my latest work in big print format large scale it's it's unbelievable to to be out in in the arctic or in iceland create something and see it become a physical thing that you can hold in your hands there's something really special about that yeah i'm a a giant fan of that yeah yeah i think a lot of people are and once you start it's it's really hard to stop because you just get addicted to the seeing the image come out of the printer (laughs) exactly how do you narrow down you know because you have such a, a giant collection of just beautiful images how, how do you narrow down the ones that you really care about and you really want to show show in print it's it's such a a massive process i think definitely getting outsider opinions goes a long way because especially when you spend you know hundreds of hours just involved in your own little photo world you can kind of lose grip of uh of maybe the overall theme or just you get caught up in the really tiny details. At least for me, I, I become obsessive about the tiniest details in the photos. And um, my girlfriend, Amy, helps me a lot in those moments to, to take a step back. And she helped me with the curation of my last exhibition. And um, it, it really, it, we, we managed to find a, a really strong um, group of images that, that really had a, a unified message across the 15 shots. Yeah. I, I have a girlfriend, Amy as well, who helps me with, <laughs> with things when I, when I get stuck and don't know what to do. That's, that's awesome. That's funny. <laughs> um, so let's say, uh, in, in 2018, how many photos do you think you took? Wow. That is a tough question. I think I've, I've filled up 30 terabytes of actual photos. Oh, geez. 30 terabytes? Yeah, yeah something yeah, like that's that. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of photos. That's probably close to half a million photos. Yeah. Depending on the I mean, size. That, though, that, yeah, now that I break that down, that includes quite a bit of, of video material. So I would say something like 200 and something thousand photos or something crazy. I do, I've done a lot of burst mode photography lately. So that, that doesn't help the storage. <laughs> Unreal. And you shoot, you shoot everything in raw or do you, do you do something different? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So everything is in raw and, um, I'm using quite a few different systems at the moment. Um, I've been doing some, uh, awesome work with Olympus using their micro four third systems. And, um, that's been really fun. Their ca- their cameras are so weather sealed. I actually put one of their cameras underwater. <laughs> no way. And uh, and it's it survived. It's perfect. Oh wow! So in Iceland, that is such an awesome uh, quality in a camera. It's just having the extreme weather sealing. 
when it comes to workshops, I know that you you definitely have have those going on. Do you have any coming up that you're planning out right now? Yeah, so the workshop thing actually on that note became one of the other ways for me to launch into a full-time photography career. Um, I connected with one of my good friends from Australia who you know, was one of my biggest inspirations in photography. His name is Jared Singh. Um, and he came over a few times, we did a few trips and then started to think, okay, maybe, maybe what we're doing is something like that other people would enjoy to come along with. So we figured out a way to turn it into a group trip and began to teach everything that we'd learned along the way, um, to aspiring photographers. And this became a really, a, a good way to, to um, also fund missions like these trips would would be would allow Jared to get to me. His flights would be uh, covered, and then we could yeah basically teach people. So awesome! I love the concept of you know building up all these skills and then getting together in a collective and sharing everything we know. Yeah, how's the transition been to becoming a teacher? Yeah, really good. I mean, you're definitely nervous. You're like. <laughs> This is what I'm saying. Uh, good, or <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You just kind of have to go with your gut feeling. But um, there's been some some uh, really just heartfelt moments in the last few years of people that have come on our workshops connect with us and say how you know maybe it's changed their whole perspective on life, or it's opened finally opened up a career for them in photography. And there's some awesome guys out there that have joined our trips. Yeah. And, and yeah. do you find that you still learn from these workshops as well, although you're the one teaching and, and putting them on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guys that, that join us are always full of uh, awesome tips or things I'd never thought of as well. And that's, that's always a fun moment when you're teaching something and then you get taught maybe even more than you've taught. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, that's a fun moment. But yeah, this year we uh, began to plan out a few for for the coming winter season and summer season in 2019, and they're all actually in Greenland at this point. So that'll be really fun, and they're they're more actually focused on the expedition element, so less actually on the teaching and more on pushing our boundaries in in our collective, you know, photography. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That would be so fun to be on. Yeah. What are like? What is Greenland like compared to compared to Iceland? That is a it's a tough question. Let me think. Greenland is obviously way less inhabited. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of empty land, a lot of dry plains. Actually, there's a, a region that is considered an Arctic desert. So it gets very very little uh, precipitation. Um, and it's actually, it's like a brown, like cracked ground landscape. Looks like you're in, not in Greenland at all. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, suddenly there's a massive glacier face just that, that is right next to it. So it's super weird. But um, I, I think Greenland is, is just more remote. It's, it has this element of uh, isolation. I don't know. It's, it's a really unique feeling being there. And it's, it's definitely different from Iceland. The, the land is is much older and much more vast. The ice cap is just unbelievably huge. That this thing is three thousand five hundred meters deep of ice. 
which is crazy. Yeah, that's absolutely wild. And how, how do you how do you travel to Greenland? It's probably a stupid question, but is it plane or is it boat? You can go with either option. I generally fly there from we have luckily we have uh, great connections from Iceland straight to Greenland with Air Iceland. And um yeah, that is that is allowed for all of the trips that I've done. So yeah, they, they fly to all areas pretty much, except for the north. The north is this wild, very hard to get to area. And um, I mean, that's almost near the, the North Pole. It's as far as you can go, really. Yeah. Oh, man. Excited to, to try and go there next year, actually. I'm trying to plan something. Oh, beautiful. That will be absolutely epic. So one of the, yeah. uh, one of the, one of the parts of your work that I've really dig and I'm just in awe by is the way that you can capture wildlife. You know, like even, even recently this Arctic Fox that you posted where he's just staring, it looks like right, right at you, right in front of you. That's the one that you said it can, uh, it can be in sub 70 Celsius, right? Before it gets too cold. Yeah. Isn't that just wild? <laughs> Dude, it's absolutely wild. And how, what's even wild to me is like, how do you get these these wildlife shots? How do you get up so close, so personal, and so intimate with, with them still being around? So the, the main way that a lot of my Arctic fox work in the past has been in areas where we've been able to establish a longer-term relationship with them. We don't want to just encroach on their space or you know invade their den sites. So we kind of let them come to us. Yeah, and in in the latest shots in Svalbard, we actually came across an uh, this this old hotel in a place called Pyramiden, and there was nine Arctic foxes living under this hotel. Wow, it was a mind blowing experience to be there, and me and my friends we just um, we just literally sat and waited, and the foxes will you know maybe get curious at who you are or what what you are <laughs> yeah so uh so they just they come closer and closer and then you know we were just literally laying on a frozen ice ground not moving and using longer lenses like from 135 three to 200 millimeters yeah. um, with close focusing distance allowed me to get those tight portraits of the faces and the eyes unbelievable so pa- patience wanna, is key like, yeah patience is key and don't obviously put a wide lens on and run up to it and shove it in the face. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to invade and, and scare the animals. So No, no, definitely not. Wow. That's, that's really amazing. Yeah. Patience seems to be key for that. And is patience a big part of your landscape work as well to get the light right and to get the location and the fog and just everything that goes into it? I think in Iceland especially, it's very spontaneous when you're going to get these periods of amazing light and clouds. And really, rather than waiting, the way that we've been able to get them here is by just being out there. Yeah. A lot of my work is like a very split second thing like, damn, look at that to the left. And then I'll put my 400 or 300 on and just shoot in the distance this burst of light on a mountain face or... Um, you know, we'll drive into all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll be in a snowstorm or um, everything is, is so spontaneous that yeah. it is hard to play. Like, I feel like that is what is believed that I do quite a lot is, is sit and wait for these things to happen. But actually, they are super spontaneous. Yeah, you're just reacting to what's happening. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and yeah, that's just all I all I can say, especially for travelers in Iceland, is to just be out there. Just chase it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So have you seen have you seen any of the climate change around you in the last four years in Iceland? There's been um some unbelievable changes in the ice here, even just in the time that I've lived here. Um there's a glacier called Solheimajökull. And they've put a um, a measurement. Um, they put a steel wire through to the ground, and it is mind blowing to see how much the ice is not only receding, but essentially, I don't know what the correct word is, de- deflating. It's getting it's it's getting shorter as oh, it's okay. go- also going back. Wow! And um, yeah, that it's it's honestly just it's overwhelming, really. And I mean. I'm trying to, to the best of my abilities, share visions of of the glaciers and try and spread awareness. I'm no, I I feel like I'm still trying to understand exactly how my work can be of use to try and spread awareness for climate change. I'm still on this journey. I'm still trying to to process this, um, but. As it stands, what I'm trying to do is 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 give visions of of the current state of the glaciers and and my my kind of interpretation of what I've seen in the last four years and these small changes and sometimes vast changes and try and just bring awareness to those. So yeah, yeah, so it's a very interesting topic and it's 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 very close to the heart. I I often find myself struggling to put into words how I feel about it. Yeah. So I'm seeing and I'm hearing the same stories in Greenland, Svalbard, and in Iceland of of local guides that have noticed just almost incomprehensible change in, in the last 10, 15 years. And it's just overwhelming, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like Iceland and the surrounding areas are such a, a really, you know, big community, and you guys are all on the same page. And even guys yeah. like, you know, Chris Burkhard, when when – they come out there, you know, like they are, they're on the same page as well. And you guys kind of are banding together to, to, you know, show what's happening and capture it as you are. Yeah, definitely. People like Chris are really inspiring. I actually was with him the other day and he was, he was, um, giving a, a talk about, um, protecting the highlands of Iceland and a, a new, a concept that is still trying is they're doing a new push for this. And it's been a long time and they've been battling a lot of negativity from local people um, in the farm areas especially, and that is to build a Highland National Park, which will essentially section section off the entire middle of Iceland. Oh, beautiful. Um, and this will this will save a lot of rivers from, um, from hydro power plants, um, which is a big threat to the landscape here. Yeah. And um, I mean, Iceland has sufficient power, and they're thinking about exporting power now, which is uh, just sucks because we're losing even more beautiful landscape to to power that we don't even need. Do you see more of these areas being protected in the near future? Hopefully. Oh, I, I truly, I, I, I really hope so, and I'm I'm grateful that the national park or Vatnajökull in the east has uh, taken over some of these crucial areas like the glacier lagoon the Jökulsárlón glacier lagoon they um they recently added this to the um to the national park area to the zone 
and changed all the facilities and the way that it's structured and controlled, which is really nice. Yeah. But um, I hope more can become part of this in the future, definitely. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, you, you are in such a unique time, I feel like, in, in history and like in this little pocket of, of time with glaciers and what's happening up there to, to document and really have a voice too and be able to use your, your following for that as well. You know, not, not everyone gets that luxury. And I think that's a really, really cool thing about you and your work is you, you have a voice and you're using it for that. Yeah. And, and also to, to try and spread awareness for how to travel safely in Iceland, because as a resident, you see so many news articles of accidents and people getting caught in bad situations. And usually it could all be avoided here. And I am trying my best to, to spread awareness in, in areas that relate to me, such as crossing rivers and things like this, where people may even be influenced by what they see me and my peers do. And and trying to tell people, you know, either how to do it right or when and when not to do these things or what forecasts you need to check or these types of things. I'm trying to use, you know, my, my audience of passionate Iceland's followers yeah. to to spread uh, positive uh, travel measures. Yeah, dude, I dig it, man. So in, yeah. in today's world of, you know, Instagram being as big as it is, and I'm sure having such an impact on on your life and, and your work, have there been any any cons to Instagram? Or do you see Instagram kind of taking away from, from you know, the realism of what photography really is and can be? I mean, I think that is really down to an individual's interpretation of what photography is. For for me, I I think I use this social media as literally just a gallery space. That's its primary purpose is to spread awareness about topics and use it as a gallery space for my photos. Yeah, and I try to, I guess, not take it too seriously. So. That there's, I've been in the past drawn way too much into this world, and I'm trying to over time just pull myself back a little bit, and focus on the craft at hand, focus on the photography, and that is first and foremost. I mean, people here, I'm seeing like the the same types of photos taken over and over again, and it's becoming evident that people travel here just to get you know, the Instagram photo right. of whatever location, like Skorafos, the waterfall. Everyone goes and takes the same photo, knowing maybe that it will do good on their social media. Yeah. And that's the only reason that they go and take it, and then they leave. And that's all that they did here. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely trying my hardest to just stay neutral about social media. Um, it's unbelievably beneficial and has been i'm so grateful to have this platform um it's the negatives for me is becoming is is this obsession to detail and how much time that can go into editing a photo for me and then you know it ends up in a crushed jpeg compressed image on a tiny screen anyway <laughs> and uh hence why i'm so interested in printing now yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, that the the time I, I lose a lot of time to obsessing over these details, and maybe it maybe it's not even necessary because you can't see those things, but still want to do it. <laughs> I, I you know what I think it is necessary, and and your work is is you know unbelievable. And when when I was talking to 
to Chris Burkhardt, he he put it really well. You know, he said he would rather be really great at at one thing in one style rather than you know kind of spread across and be like you know hey I can like I can shoot everything and I think that you have really kind of nailed that unique unique style and unique way of shooting and I guess that that probably happens organically you know like you shoot enough and you edit enough and you get inspired enough and then things just end up the way that you do them yeah exactly and um, and just following your your heart and 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 trying to not give in to, I guess, this social media world where it seems almost like there's set ways, there's set methods to, you know, growth and the style that should be on there for the best whatever, blah, blah. So I'm just trying to switch off from that and just literally if I find something interesting, I'll take a photo and then later curate a selection for the given purpose, whether it's an exhibition or uh for social media, they generally all seem to have this same uh, overarching message of of the Arctic and of Iceland and the current state of the landscape and the, the seasons and the transitions between the seasons. It's really cool. Love that, man. So, what's next for for Benjamin Hardman? What's uh, what's next year look like? Next year, I'm I'm so I'm just, I'm trying my best to to leave it unplanned because. This year, I, I tried this this mentality of just going into it free, yeah, and and it ended up being the most insane year of my life. So I'm hoping to continue this method and see if I can uh, keep some periods of time free and just kind of go with the wind, and um, yeah, take on some really cool last minute things. I mean, for me, Svalbard, even going to Svalbard this year was was the most amazing photographic opportunity of the whole year and one of the best in my life and I'm so grateful to have gone there and I'm hoping to go back and just further explore that I feel like I've I've had this initial insight and now I want to dive a little deeper so hopefully next year is Svalbard and back to Greenland and just more exploring in Iceland amazing I cannot wait to see what you put out next year. That's awesome, man. Uh, so, okay. So workshops hit Benjamin up for some workshops. There's I'm sure another one coming up in, in the, uh, in the early year, right? Yeah. We've got one, uh, lined up for the summer in Greenland. So keep an eye out for that. Beautiful. And then your prints as well. People can pick up your prints if they go on your site, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, is that just benjaminhardman.com? Benjaminhardman.com. And H A R D Hardman. So H A R D M A N. And that's where they can find you on Instagram too and Flickr if they're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, check out the old Flickr. Some funny stuff on there. I love it. Well, dude, Benjamin, thank you so much for coming on, man. That was awesome. No worries. It was great to speak to you, man. And if I'm up in Iceland, I'm definitely going to be knocking on your door. And I'll be your housekeeper for a bit too, just to get some work. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye. That'll do it, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for checking that out. Benjamin, thanks for chatting, man. So at this point, if you have not seen Benjamin's work, and if you've only heard his voice and his story, I suggest you go look at his work because it is really, um, it's unique and it's going to inspire you and it is going to make you feel things. And the colors, the composition, every single element is just dialed in to be 
Benjamin Hardman. It's, it's, you just got to go on. You just got to see his pictures because you'll totally understand. Uh, and you'll totally be a fan if you already aren't. And I am. And that was awesome. Um, all right, you guys say hey to Benjamin. See when he has a workshop coming up, go to Greenland with him. Please take pictures and send them to me. I wish I could be there. Maybe I can. Who knows? All right. I'll see you in Greenland. Uh, anyways, all right, you guys have a good week and we will see you next week.